This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The Supreme Court is hearing arguments on a number of issues this week, from a free speech claim in Colorado to the power of state courts in North Carolina. Let's not forget another topic that's on a lot of people's minds. The court will have a say on whether the Biden administration's student loan debt forgiveness program can actually go forward. But what does all of this mean for us? Here to help break it down is Stephen Schwinn, professor at University of Illinois Chicago Law School. Welcome back to Reset, Professor. Thanks so much for having me, Sasha. So I want to start with the case out of Colorado, Professor. A graphic designer is refusing to work with same-sex couples on wedding websites? That's exactly right. So this is a website designer who said that she wants to go into the business of designing wedding websites. Now, Colorado anti-discrimination law says that she can't discriminate based on the basis of sexual orientation or LGBTQ status. So she put a notice on her website or would like to put a notice on her website that says she'll make websites for anybody, but she won't make wedding websites for weddings that uh, that that conflict with her religious beliefs, which she says includes LGBTQ weddings. And so she's flatly denied to do that and brought this challenge saying that she actually has a free speech right to post on her website that message. Yeah. Why Why that as opposed to a, a religious liberty case? Why is it being called a free speech case? Yeah, fantastic question. So the religious liberty case was actually litigated several years ago where there was a cake baker who raised a very similar claim against the exact same Colorado yes, law. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. And the cake baker said, I have a free exercise of religion right not to create a cake for a same-sex wedding if I don't want to. And the Supreme Court actually agreed because what the Supreme Court said in that case is that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission expressed a kind of animus against religion when they were making a decision against the cake baker. And so the cake baker won that case. Now, this is round two with a free speech claim, not a free exercise claim. I see. Now, the Supreme Court spent two hours holding a hearing on case 303 on Monday. Um, There were a lot of hypotheticals that were discussed, though, like taking pictures with mall Santas and and kids wearing Ku Klux Klan costumes. This What was was that? And where is it even coming from? Oh, this argument was just bananas. So the problem is the Supreme Court, if it's going to rule in favor of the website designer, is going to need to engage in some line drawing. It's going to need to figure out if we allow the website designer to post this discriminatory message on her website, where does it end, right? Does that mean that any business, for example, could post a message that says, we will not serve Jewish people or we will not serve black people or what have you, right? And we're well familiar with this history in our country, a very ugly history. And so the Supreme Court's trying to figure out where to draw lines if it rules in favor of the website designer. And it was using these hypotheticals to get to that point. So when do you think that we could see a decision made in this case? I think it's likely to come out in June. Okay. So if the Supreme Court does side with this graphic designer... What impact could that have on future cases like this? It's That's really tough to say. It's going to depend on how the Supreme Court writes the opinion. Now, I do expect that the Supreme Court will rule with the, the website designer in this you do. case. I do. Why? Well, because I, based on the questioning at oral argument and the lineup at the Supreme Court, I just think it's tilting in that direction. But how it rules in favor of the website designer, I think, is a different question entirely. And drawing these lines is going to be critical to the decision so that we don't end up in a country where businesses across the board are discriminating against people. Yeah. All right. So let's shift gears and talk about Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. According to several reports, it seems likely that the court could rule that the plan is actually illegal. So what is next for the forgiveness plan? 
That's a tough question, too. So I, I agree. I do think it's likely that the court will rule that the Biden administration's forgiveness plan is un, is illegal, that it exceeds its authority under the HEROES Act, which is an act that allows the administration to forgive student loans in a national emergency. And the mm-hmm. argument here is, well, we're not really in a national emergency anymore by the Biden administration's own reckoning. If that happens, the Biden administration does have one other tool in its toolkit, and that is the Higher Education Act itself, Okay, which on the face of it grants the administration authority to forgive student loans across the board, whether we're in a national emergency or not. And so the Biden administration could move to the Higher Education Act if the Supreme Court strikes its forgiveness program under the HEROES Act. If it were to do that, that'd be a pretty aggressive move. But it could do it. Yeah. So and just so we're clear, Professor, what are the main arguments against this debt relief plan? Like, is President Biden really maybe overstepping his authority here? Well, that's that's the core question in the case. And so the the HEROES Act gives the president some authority to modify student loans in a national emergency. And what the administration has said is, we're in a national emergency because of the COVID crisis. Now, the opponents of the forgiveness plan are saying, no, we're not really in a national emergency anymore. And if even if we are, it doesn't extend to loan forgiveness of this type. Like, that's just way too sweeping a kind of relief for individuals who may be affected by the COVID crisis. Yeah, I could see this waiting game creating a ton of confusion and frustration for borrowers. When are they going to make a decision on this? Well, that's tough to say, too. They may make it more quickly than June. Typically, their big decisions will come out in June, but they may may move more quickly on this one. All right. So the the court is also hearing arguments today about a case from North Carolina. State Republicans claim that their state court has no power in regards to congressional elections, according to the Constitution. Help us understand what's happening there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this really requires us kind of rewiring our sixth grade civics brain, right, where we <laughs> consider the separation of powers and judicial review. Right. What happened here is that the North Carolina state legislature enacted a congressional map after the 2020 census that, uh, that gerrymandered heavily in favor of Republicans in the state. The state Supreme Court ruled that that gerrymandered map violated the state constitution, not the federal constitution, but the state constitution. At that point, legislative leaders said, hey, wait a second, the federal constitution gives the power to write these kinds of election rules to the state legislature. Mm -hmm. And listeners can't see, but I'm using air quotes here. The legislature is actually the the language in the constitution itself. And so what the legislative leaders were saying is, because the federal constitution gives the legislature, and only the legislature, authority to make these kinds of rules, the state Supreme Court can't overrule the legislature. Now, this is another one of those cases where the Supreme Court is really going to have to be careful about line drawing because the logical extent of this theory is that the legislature could do whatever it wants, irrespective of the governor, irrespective of the state courts, irrespective of anybody for that matter. And it goes a step further, Sasha, and this is where a lot of people are concerned. If you remember the 2020 election, part of the Trump theory in that election was that state legislators could give award um, electoral votes to Trump who lost in the state even when he lost in the state under a companion cause clause called the electors clause in the Constitution. The electors clause uses very similar language to give to the state legislature 
the power to award electors in a presidential election. And some fear that if the Supreme Court were to rule with the state legislature in the North Carolina case, that some states would take that as an invitation to award electors to an electoral loser in the state under the electors oh, clause. Wow. And we heard this before this segment from Lisa Labas. But uh, at least six Supreme Court justices are sounding skeptical of making a broad ruling that would leave state legislatures virtually unchecked when making rules for elections. Liberal Justice Elena Kagan said eliminating that power would allow for, quote, the most extreme forms of gerrymandering form uh, from from legislatures. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The case has been called the, quote, single most important case on American democracy, Professor. This was by former federal judge Michael Ludig. He's a prominent conservative. He joined the legal team defending the state court's decision. Why is this case so important? Well, it's so important for, uh, well, for two reasons and perhaps many more. One is the plenary power that the ruling could give to state legislatures over federal elections in the state, irrespective of what the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court says, the state courts, the governor, anybody else in the state says, Mm -hmm. the legislature alone could do this. And Sasha, you know, state legislatures have done such a good job of gerrymandering themselves that they're really, in many states, not well representative of the electorate at large. And so they're making rules about federal elections that don't really reflect the wills of the people. So there's that problem. But then the other problem is that a ruling in favor of the legislature, as I mentioned earlier, could very well invite states to start allocating their electoral votes in a presidential election, even in a way that betrays the will of the popular vote in the state. Now, Mm -hmm. that's an extension of this theory. This case doesn't necessarily go that far. But what I worry about, and a number of other commentators too, is that a ruling in favor of the state legislature here will invite states to take that action in the next presidential election. And and briefly continuing this conversation around the Constitution, former President Donald Trump has suggested terminating the Constitution to overturn the 2020 election. I see a big sigh. What prompted this reaction? Do you believe this? I so, believe anything when it comes to <laughs> Donald Trump at this point. Well, so we we have this overlaps with Elon Musk's efforts on Twitter to reveal, you know, how Twitter threw the election to the Democrats in 2020, which turned out not to be true and really baseless. And but it, it, nevertheless, President former President Trump took this as an invitation to weigh in and say that when an election is flawed as it is, that means that we can re- rewrite any of the rules, including the Constitution. <laughs> itself. Of course. Yeah. Well, of course. Right. Naturally. We How are Democrats no and Republicans less. reacting to this? Well, Democrats have widely uh, have widely criticized it. Republicans have been surprisingly silent. And this is what really disturbs me. I mean, here you have a candidate for the Republican nomination in 2024 openly advocating for overthrowing the Constitution. Now, we used to say with President Trump, we used to say things like, well, you ought to take him seriously, but not literally. I think after January 6th, we need to take him both seriously and, and literally. literally. Yes, <laughs> Jinx. And um, and uh, and take this as a message. I mean, this is what he's openly advocating. And I got to find I, I personally find it really distressful that more Republicans aren't coming out against this. Yeah, they're awfully quiet. We'll leave it there. Stephen Schwinn is professor of univers- at University of Illinois Chicago Law School. Thank you again. Thanks so much for having me.